Hey moms, please keep in mind that I am not a mental health professional. This space is simply for creating conversations. If you are in crisis, please dial 988 for the National Crisis Hotline. If you are in danger, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. Now, let's talk. Hey moms, welcome to this week's podcast. Uh, I know I say it all the time, but I'm so excited about this guest. Uh, I met her a couple of years ago. I think we met um, virtually uh, and talked a little bit about your story and uh, what you do. Uh, we're going to talk about being a veteran and especially being a veteran mom. But I want you to introduce yourself and talk about um like what, what you do first, like your story doesn't end here. So Rachel, if you would take it away and tell us that first, and then we'll get into to the rest of it. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, love being guests on other podcasts, but I don't think I've been a guest on a mom's podcast yet. So this is uh, unique for me. And so I'm super excited to be here and just share a little bit about my story. Uh, as you said, my name's Rachel Oswald. I spent six and a half years in the Navy and uh, actually was not a mom when I was serving in the Navy. I didn't get pregnant until my last year in the Navy. I had my daughter after I got out of the Navy. But what's unique about my Navy experience that so many people in the military can relate to is that mental health was a challenge for me. And, uh, and, and a challenge in a way that I lost friends to suicide, but I also had my own mental health challenges within the system, within my leadership commands. I mean, really everything combined. And so when I separated from the military, I decided that I wanted to do something about it and that I wanted to start a podcast. And I chose podcast because I was initially looking at a YouTube platform, but I didn't really want to get into the video logistics of things. And, and I, one of my friends who has a personal development podcast in Australia was doing a podcasting course on how to start building a podcast and he'd been very successful with it. And so I just kind of hit the ground running with it, um, with a, a platform for people to share their stories. And initially my, my goal with the podcast was just to share these stories with the civilian population of how mental health could be in the military and how the reality of how it was in the military. Because when I had created a petition a few years back in 2019 to the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, who was the highest enlisted ranking person in the Navy, I had stories flood into me from enlisted, from officers, from all these people in the military who shared their stories with me and who said, thank you for, for being that voice for me um, because no one else is speaking up about these topics. And so creating this platform for other people to share their stories was very important to me. Uh, as I started to heal more in my journey, I it changed my mission a little bit to start focusing on the culture in the military because I really feel that if training is pushed down the pipeline, if we're telling people do this, do that, like, yeah, that's, that's cool and all, but until people actually change the culture and the way they act and treat each other, then nothing's actually going to change within the military. And so um, that's kind of the short version of, of why I do what I do in the military mental health space, I'm starting to branch out more and focus on reintegration and transition and all these puzzle pieces that really fit together to truly help be that that change in the military uh, active duty reservist and veteran population so that people stop dying and so that people feel that their voice is heard. That is uh, so spectacular. 
I, um, I know we had talked about that a little bit before when we had first met and um, your mission has changed a little bit since we originally spoke. Yes. So I'm so excited to have you on. I think that's so important. I think I told you we had um, an active military mom previously on and her big thing was that being a mom is the most important thing, but to the military being a soldier is the most important thing. Yes. I mean, how how are both of those parts of you the most important thing? How are both of those right. things a priority? And uh, so she she struggles still um, raising children. She uh, real quick, I want to tell you because I think that you'll you'll know people like this. But she had a six month old baby, and she was told she was deploying to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Afghanistan, I think it was Afghanistan. If I'm wrong, uh, and she deployed six months later and she missed a year of her child's life and when she came back even though she'd been on video calls and phone calls with that child didn't know her didn't yeah. want anything to do with her didn't want mom and she missed all those like first steps and all of that and i know there's got to be so many moms in the military that are oh yeah yeah it's it's i, I spent my last year in the Navy in LIMDU, which stands for limited duty. And it's where they place someone in the military. I think I'm learning more that it might be a more Navy specific thing, the way that it's called. I think every branch has something similar, but a lot of the people that are in LIMDU are pregnant or just had a baby and they're in that first year postpartum when they can't actually be deployed. And, and you'd see it across the board um, that thankfully, they, there are instructions in place that prevent women in the Navy, at least, from being deployed that first 12 months after having a baby. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure that changes depending on time of peace, time of war, and in the time when Afghanistan was very heavily occupied by the U.S. military. I mean, I'm sure things were completely different back then just because they needed the people to be present to help out with the mission that was happening at that time. And, and I have heard of women who miss out on so much of their child's lives. And it's one of the reasons that I chose to not do a maternity tour in the military and to not sign on for longer because I did actually have a choice. When I, when I found out I was pregnant, it was roughly a couple months before I was supposed to get out. And I talked to my chief and I said, hey, I'm pregnant, what are my options? Because I knew I was getting out and I just wasn't sure what, what was offered on the other side. I found out later on that the VA would have covered my birth um, but I didn't, I wasn't able to take advantage of that because the information just wasn't flowing down the pipeline to me at that time. But well, it, what I will say um, is that I was offered the opportunity to do a maternity tour, which would extend me for, I want to say, two more years. It would give me the opportunity to have TRICARE cover my birth, but then also to stay in the military during the first year of my daughter's life. And I chose not to partially because of that. You know, you just never know if the military needs you, the military needs you. And, uh, and I didn't want to miss out on those parts of my daughter's life. And I know women that thrive as new moms and career women in the military, um, they, they make it look very easy and I'm sure it's not, um, but I just, not for me. And, and I'm really grateful that I made that decision as tough as it is sometimes. Yeah. Well, and she's a doll. I can't imagine being away from her. From <laughs> Thank <right>? you. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that, that's really interesting to me. So, um, so how you you were in the military for six and a half years you said right yes and then you found out you were pregnant in the military and you finished your finished your commitment so 
we we talked a little bit about other people in the military and i guess i'm curious too is um I hear a lot of veterans talk about the PTSD that they did experience in the military. Um, I guess my question is more around, did you experience PTSD in the military? Did you, did you experience serious trauma that has uh, come over into your motherhood that you've had to work through? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the hardest thing for me, because um, I'm still exploring a lot of that stuff that like, connecting the dots between my military service, even prior to the military and my life now and how I lead my life. Um, I think the the two things that stand out the most to me um, as, you know, what I experienced in, in how I parent now is one, military sexual trauma uh, plays a huge role in my life and just how I operate anyway. Um, I haven't quite connected the dots on how that affects me as a mom, but I know that there's, there's areas of my life where I am more apprehensive about certain situations. And, and realistically, I probably raised my daughter in a way um, to not have her experience what I experienced, even if that's subconsciously. Uh, there's not a specific time that I can think of that I'm like actively thinking, oh, well, this happened to me, so I don't want this to happen to her. But, you know, I, I think that being a parent is probably one of the most healing journeys ever because it it forces you to come to terms with the things that you don't want to come to terms with and yeah. so that, that's still a, a process for me i would say the other thing is that in the military a lot of women are still um treated differently at least in my experience i know that when i first found out i was pregnant i didn't really get to experience joy of pregnancy a because i was experiencing antenatal depression but b a lot of women when they find out they're pregnant in the military get told by everyone around them, oh, you're just trying to get out of a deployment. Oh, you're just trying to get out of work. Mm -hmm. You're taking the easy way out. And so you see a lot of women in the military who are still doing hazardous jobs up until the point that they can't do it anymore. And I don't know if it's because they they legitimately enjoy their job and want to keep doing it or because they feel like they have to to prove something. Uh, but I remember almost judging myself for getting pregnant, even though like there was nothing wrong with me getting pregnant. I was limited duty already. Uh, married, I mean, I had everything established in my life. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, in my mind, I still felt like there were things that I had to be apprehensive of. And so I was kind of walking on eggshells in a way that I created myself because I felt like people were judging me for my situation. And, and I think a lot of that had to do with my military experience. And so just kind of little interesting things that come up for me every once in a while about the military and in certain situations and how that affects me now. Yeah. So, and I, I, I mean, I can only imagine that with um, sexual trauma from the military that as your, as your little girl gets older and uh, it becomes, oh gosh, I don't even know how to say it, but it becomes something that we have to watch out for more as, you know, um, teenagers, young adults, that that might be something that comes up then. You know, especially if she decides to join the military, that's something that you have to, you know, you have to make sure people are aware of. Uh, yeah, I know that yeah. I, I hear about that a lot. Um, I don't believe I've ever had an experience with a veteran who's had sexual trauma, like directly tell me they have, I'm sure that I am, I'm 
I'm sure I'm close to them. I'm sure, but they don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that that's really that's really sad, I guess. I mean, I think so many people don't talk about trauma at all, at right. all. Right. Um, and then in the military, it seems that there's more of like a hush hush. We don't talk about it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that most because the podcast that I host is a military mental health podcast. So most of the women that I have on do talk about the sexual trauma. And I found that most women that I've met, I think there's maybe one or two that have not experienced sexual trauma. So most women that I've met that have served in the military have experienced it in some way, shape or form. And it's important to talk about the fact that that, that can look different for every single woman. For some women, it is, you know, it's very severe to them. And for, for some women, they don't even quite realize what happened to them. I think I had one guest one time who didn't even connect the dots really until we started talking about it on the show. And it, it really goes back to what I told you, even with the, the woman in a pregnancy thing is that a lot of women and, and men too in the military are told, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, this is what really happened. Oh, you shouldn't have been doing this. You shouldn't have been doing that. And so it creates this stigma that exists in our minds where some people have not processed the label of what happened to them as actual sexual trauma. Some people just, you know, create these excuses in their mind. And, and the word excuses probably sounds pretty abrasive. I think realistically, it's the way that our brains are protecting us. Because yeah. if we label it as sexual trauma, then then it, it makes it so much harder to deal with. If we just say, oh, I just went through this and this happened, then it, for me at least, it made me feel better. But I experienced sexual trauma before I joined the military too. And so that had kind of been a pattern in my life anyway. But I think when we talk to a lot of people in the military, A, they don't want to really bring that up again because it's painful. But B, some people just don't even realize what happened to them. Right. And I, I think that's true in, in every facet of life that um, that those kind of things happen. Um, I think it's incredible that you have veterans and military on your podcast who are willing to talk about it because it does affect us. I mean, all over the place. I experienced sexual trauma and it, it did change some of the ways I parent. Right. Absolutely. I am ter I was terrified my teenage daughters went to parties. I'm like, oh yeah. gosh, and it shouldn't be that situation with men or women. None of us should be having to cover our drinks to protect ourselves. It's right. not okay. Right. But we do, as moms, we teach our primarily daughters, which again, it happens to men too, but primarily our daughters, not to take a drink from someone, to put your hand over your drink, to not turn your back on it, to um, you know, not dress a certain way, not dance a certain way, not act a certain way. Yeah. And um again not being a veteran but as a mom i i was scared yeah. and it it did affect me that way so in the military where it's maybe a different mentality i can imagine that's that's a whole different gamut of difficulty yeah mine and when you talk about like the partying situation and um, you know, all the little things that you just mentioned that it, it in certain environments um, create more of an environment where sexual assault typically happens, right? Like party environments where people are more vulnerable. I think that the military environment creates a vulnerable environment anyway, because if you look at the pipeline that people go through, 
and I'll use my story as an example. I went to boot camp for eight weeks in Great Lakes, Illinois. In boot camp, they really made it look like the military is a place where everyone takes care of each other. Everyone's very polite. And so, you know, when I'm walking down the street and men and women are just greeting each other, they're saying, good afternoon, petty officer. Good morning, petty officer. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. Because for the first time in my life, when I'm walking down the street and I see a group of men across the street, instead of feeling anxiety, I actually feel safe. And so that that is the mentality that boot camp gave me. And don't get me wrong, people still make their vulgar comments and stuff in boot camp, but um, it's kind of isolated to like those few people. It's not like a, a systemic thing that I noticed when I was in boot camp. So when I went to a school in Pensacola, Florida, I had this mentality that the Navy is the safe space. Well, turns out a few weeks later, I found out that it was the exact opposite. And I think the reason for it is because when people have a lack of freedom for eight, 12, 14 plus weeks, and then all of a sudden they get all this freedom, um, people go crazy with it. And they try to phase in the freedom in a school. So when I, when I got to my barracks, Phase one, you could go off base, but you had to wear your uniform and you had to be back with a curfew. Uh, and you were on that for like two weeks, you had to hit a certain number of qualifications and then you could phase up to phase two where you could wear civilian clothes off base, but you also had to be back at curfew. And then I think that was like a month long. And then phase three was where you could stay out overnight um you could stay at a hotel or whatever but you know you had to still be there for your classes and and whatever have you and, and it's pensacola florida so beaches alcohol restaurants people go on vacation to pensacola florida uh there was also a bar on base and so you know there was marines and there was navy there but i found out that there was a group of marines that had an actual like list of the new students that would come in every single week because they would come in on buses every week from boot camp and the their main prerogative was to sleep with as many of those new women as they could and it was really disappointing to hear because i did have um friends that were sexually assaulted when i was in pensacola and i had my own experience of sexual assault when i was in pensacola and it seemed like women didn't speak up about it because my one friend that did speak up about it everyone just told her that she was a snitch and she shouldn't have spoke up and like her situation was her being a student and the guy was an instructor at that A school. And so a lot more of a serious allegation because that guy was supposed to be the leader and instead, you know, he was sexually assaulting students. Um, and so it, it, these environments are really created, I would say throughout the military. And it's not because the military is purposely trying to create the environments. Um, I think, you know, when I go back to that culture piece that I talked about very early on, that the culture is just kind of permeated from what the military has always been. You have a lot of young kids that have never experienced life outside of really high school and home. They go to high school and then they leave and they join the military and, and they learn what it means to be a human and an adult in the world inside the military. And for a lot of people, all these massive changes happening at once can be a lot to handle because we're leaving home, we're no longer around our friends and family, the the diversity in the military is a lot more than I even expected. I'm from Iowa originally, and I'm meeting people for the first time from different walks of life that just viewed life differently, had different life experiences. I mean, I didn't even realize how diverse the U.S. was until I went to boot camp and I met all these different people. And so you take all these things combined um, 
and you take people who maybe had issues with alcohol or drugs before the military, uh, who maybe had mental health issues before the military, and the support just really doesn't exist for people when they join. And, and I'm sure part of it is designed that way for a reason, because the whole idea of boot camp and training is to build up a soldier, sailor, marine, airman. And you probably really can't do that by offering therapy. I don't know. Um, I don't know that it's been tested. I would be curious to see what kind of human beings that we would create out of the military if they did start offering more support. Maybe we would have a stronger military force. I don't know. But I think people are in pain and people are going through a lot. And so it creates this culture where people just want to party. People drink a lot. People smoke cigarettes. Um, there are some people that take it out on the gym and they take care of themselves, but even some of those people are going to the gym in an unhealthy way. There's a lot of eating disorders that come out of people in the military. I mean, there's a lot of pain there. And so when we talk about like even military sexual trauma, it's so much more complex than just saying, let's just get the perpetrators out of the military. Well, how do we look at the bigger picture and fix the pain that these people are in, but then also give people the tools to understand how to be respectable human beings. I mean, there's people in the military that don't even know basic hygiene, like how to bathe themselves, how to wash their clothes. I mean, there's so much to it that is so complex. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that perpetrators should be excused for what they do because they do sexual assault training in the military, they do it all the time. But I think that training, again, is not enough. We need to look at how else can we prevent these things from happening in the military. And I think a lot of that goes back to culture too. That, that made me think about, um, so if, if there are people in power who are perpetrators mm -hmm. and they are hushing things up or discouraging people from speaking out, then it becomes, like you said, part of that culture. Yes. So then another, say, young man may sexually assault somebody. And then that breeds another young man and another young man and another young man where truly, honestly, maybe they just don't even know better. Right. Um, like you said, sexual assault looks different for everybody. And some people don't even realize it's happening. Some men don't realize they're even doing it. Right. Right. You know, and there's, there's, much worse sexual assault, I know, that is not, I don't want to say worse, that was the wrong word. Um, more extreme, I guess, would be an appropriate term. That is, uh, gosh, I'm just coming up with the wrong words. Harder is not right. Any sexual yeah. assault is hard. I mean, but it's such a subjective thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's subjective. But if they are, if there is a culture being bred, breaking that culture and fixing that culture is where it's going to be because right. these young people, most often young people are being brought up and they're doing what they're told is okay. And if they're not being told that's not okay, it's going to continue to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I think most people look at sexual assault and they picture like your back alley attacking someone. Um, and I've heard this before, like people are like, well, if you're just at a party and you're drinking and you're both, having sex, then how do we know who consented and who didn't? And that's why, you know, a lot of the trainings there, they are doing a little bit better job of trainings in the military. Um, I know here at the base that I was stationed on before I got out, they were actually doing like 
Um, it was almost like a skit style of training um, as opposed to like the videos and the PowerPoints. But I think people still don't quite put two and two together about sexual assault is very subjective. It's not that you felt that because you were at a party and you thought that there was consent, that there is consent, that consent has to be mutually agreed upon. And then also when there's alcohol involved, they actually teach now that it is impossible to consent when there is alcohol involved. Um, just because you don't know someone's altered state of mind and what they truly want. And so, I mean, there are aspects to it where like, yes, the military is doing better, but again, the culture plays so much in it because there are still people who, you know, they're, maybe they're not paying attention during training because it is such a mass training and people are forced to be there. So how do we reach people who maybe um, they have different learning styles or maybe PowerPoint isn't the right way. Maybe they need a smaller group environment because maybe they have questions and they don't feel safe asking those questions. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many different different ways that we could approach this to try to tackle the problem. Uh, they have sexual assault, they have uniformed advocates in the military that are supposed to help be like a victim advocate for someone who was sexually assaulted, but the, the uniform advocates are, they're uniformed. So, I mean, if knowing how the military is, sometimes people's stories make it around a base or a command and they don't feel safe talking no, to that person because that person is part of the military too. So, I mean, there's, there's just, there's so much, so much to it um, that I, I think could be done. But one thing that I say a lot when I talk about really any issue in the military is that the people that are making the decisions in the military. Oh, lost your audio. Being a mom is fun. This always happens to us at one point or another. I, I can hear something, but I can't quite hear you. Would... Would unplugging your headphones work? And maybe it'll just won't be the best quality, but we can hear what you were saying. Okay. Do we, um, everybody, she has to switch computers. So I will talk for a moment while she does that because I don't want to start over. This has been so good. So let her swap computers and we'll just add a couple of minutes. So um, what I love about Rachel is that she is talking and having these conversations with people in the military. And these people are willing to come out and, you know, and talk about it. Obviously, not everybody in the military is um, a predator or a perpetrator or, um, or even a victim of sexual assault. And I think that's really important to know that, you know, we're going to run into those situations everywhere in life. 
but her experience is in the military and that's where she's making changes. Just like I'm talking to moms because it's my experience and that's where I wanna make changes. So I think it's really fascinating that this incredible human being, this incredible woman and this mother, uh, she's really talking about the hard things, which again is something that I, I always talk about is, um, you know, when we talk about these dirty things, when we bring them to the surface, they're just, they're not dirty anymore. They're just, they're just things and we talk about them. And when we talk about these things, we have a better ability to heal, to move forward and to become better and help those around us be better. Uh, women like Rachel, mothers like Rachel, just people like Rachel absolutely fascinate me. I can't imagine how hard it is for her to listen to these people every, I mean, every week, every day. I'm not sure how often she, she records her podcast, but she puts herself in such a vulnerable place that is just, it's absolutely beautiful. And it's, it's got to be so, so hard. Um, but that one of my, one of my favorite podcasters and authors, Glennon Doyle, uh, and Abby Wombaugh, they have a podcast called We Can Do Hard Things. And that is something that I find so profound is that we we can do hard things. Some things are hard and we can do them. If you haven't checked out their podcast, you really, really should. Uh, they also are both authors and uh, just amazing human beings. But Rachel, Rachel really is doing the hard thing. And I just absolutely adore her for it. I'm really hoping she comes back on soon. Because uh, I don't want you to miss what she has to say for the remainder of our time together. Uh, I, mean, I could talk all day, but you guys aren't here to hear from me. But um, again, back to back to. Oh, there we are. I'm back. I was just talking about how awesome you are. Thank you. Uh, before you finish, I just want to tell you what I was telling everybody else that I can't imagine how hard it is to hear these stories as regularly as you hear them. And I think it's absolutely beautiful that you put yourself in such a vulnerable position to hear these hard things. Thank you. You know, I've, I've learned a lot from hearing other people's stories. I learn a lot about myself. I learn a lot about people all the time. And, um, and it's really cool just being able to be a source of that healing for someone else, but then also mm -hmm. simultaneously be a source of healing for myself. So I 100%, love it. Absolutely. So I, I'm so sorry we got interrupted. I'm not going to edit any of that out because we That's are okay. moms and <laughs> stuff goes wrong when we're moms. Just That's happens. okay. I have no idea what happened. Um, <laughs> literally nothing was even touched. It just decided to go out on that computer. Like I said, I've never used that computer before. So um, I guess we'll just stick with the, the tried and true, but I cannot remember exactly where I was and what I was talking about. Um, oh, I had it circling in my head so I could bring it back up when we got on and then I forgot. So I think let's pick up back on, um, really on, on the culture and needing to, to change that in the military because okay. we are, we are losing military members and veterans like crazy oh, yeah. and a lot of them are moms which is who we're talking to and if they are victims of sexual assault or other kinds of trauma she's so cute so it's, it's hard to talk about something so deep and not smile at her um, <laughs> but but these but these 
people, you know, and again, back to moms, because that's, that's what I know. Um, we're losing them. They're yes. losing, we're, we're losing them to, to suicide. Um, we're even losing them to, you know, drugs, to alcohol, to, to so many things. And I know we've talked a lot about sexual assault, but I, I mean, are there, have you experienced other kinds of trauma within the military that has just carried over into your civilian life that maybe wasn't um, traumatic at the time, but you've looked back and it's just something that you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that was a thing. Yeah. You know, I, it's kind of weird to label it as trauma, but a lot of the culture and leaders that I was around um, really affected me. And it was one of the main reasons that I got out. And so I'm going to label it under trauma for this, for this context, because I think that a lot of people uh, experience this and, and it's kind of an interesting take on it to call it trauma, because like I said, the word trauma seems very heavy. And mm -hmm. so I think a lot of us steer away from that word, but there are a lot of extremely toxic leaders in the military who tell people really horrible things, who treat them a certain type of way. And, uh, and I know you know about mindset stuff and how just being treated a certain way and being told certain things can really affect the way that we live our lives. And, and I think that that is probably why a lot of veterans, especially mom veterans, really struggle outside of the military because they feel like they're not enough. And I actually saw a post the other day in one of the veteran groups that I'm a part of um, where this individual had been offered a job teaching and she was so in her head about it because the military had essentially told her that no. she wasn't enough and and it was really cool seeing people in the comments that came through and were like no you can absolutely do this um but that's such a, a common thing with our veteran community is people feeling like they're not enough because it, the the leadership didn't know how to be good leaders and so i think for me that's something that i still really struggle with is this thought circulating in my head that i'm not enough and that i'm not doing enough um and and that's something that i'm still working through too as i work on building my own things because for me you know getting out of the military and having a plan to go to nursing school and go to you know have this career path laid out for me but then pregnancy, COVID, all the things really just kind of swept that up from under my feet and having to figure out something different. Um, it brings up a lot of that trauma and a lot of those subconscious thoughts that, that tell me that I'm not enough. And so I'd say that it really affects me in a major way. Um, and I don't think I've ever really connected the two like that. So thank you for asking that question. Yeah. I, uh, I think about that kind of stuff a lot. I know that, you know, we, we can't, we can't just, um, categorize as every leader in the military is a bad leader. Right. But when you have had systemic issues for generations in the military and that culture isn't changing, they are essentially are training leaders to be bad leaders who are training leaders to be bad leaders who are training leaders to be bad leaders. Yeah. And I find that in civilian life, too. There are so many people in the leadership roles that are not right for it. Or um, I recently had um, somebody in a leadership role and I told them, I said, you are not ready to be a leader. You're not. So you can decide if you want to be a boss or you want to be a leader, but none of us here are looking for a boss. So, you know, there are things you can do to become a good leader, but you have to do it. Right. You know, because when we, when we are told 
and you don't have to hear the words you're not good enough you hear so many other phrases that right. just knock you down and knock you down and knock you down and then as moms now we're faced with being i mean quite frankly the most important job in the world is to you know take care of the next generation and nurture them and grow them and either not either there are many things that can happen but you can then transfer those negative things to your child yes. or you can doubt yourself so much that you're almost paralyzed and don't know how to move forward or you can be like screw that i'm not dealing with this i'm going to learn all the things and be the best yep. but it's so hard to 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 get to that place when you are broken down for so long with bad leadership yes yeah and some people experience the the leadership the toxic leadership for 20 plus years in the military and and they just don't we don't know what we don't know so when they get out and they join these civilian jobs and the ego is no longer there because no one cares that they did 20 years in the military and made it to a certain rank um, it, it really is detrimental to people and when you talk about the passing it on to our children i mean it, i think that's a fear that a lot of moms have i know it's a fear that i have of i, I don't want to pass down my problems and my trauma and the things that i haven't sorted out to my daughter and then picking apart certain things like recently she started chewing on her fingernails and i'm like oh my gosh did i pass down my anxiety to my daughter maybe maybe not that maybe it's just her being a toddler and chewing on her fingers but that's immediately where my mind went is not wanting to pass that down to her. And um, I don't think enough of us moms give ourselves enough credit for the work that we have done and for the things that we recognize, because I think just recognizing it alone is a positive step in the right direction, because maybe our parents and the generation before that and the generation before that didn't even recognize the harm that they were doing because they didn't know. And so uh, there's there's definitely a lot to unpack between just life in general and military service and bad leaders and all these things that life throws at us. But um, but I think you know if if someone's a mom and they're listening, which I'm assuming is most of your listener base, that we have to give ourselves credit for the healing that we have done. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for uh, other veteran moms and maybe active duty moms being able to listen to this who are going through the things you're going through or have gone through what you're gone through. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast is um, let's, let's break down those barriers and let's talk about these hard, hard, hard things. Right. Because, you know, it's, it's something that has to be said. And if one person, one, one female in the military goes through that kind of trauma and can say, I'm not going to stand for it. That's one more step toward culture change. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I hundred percent agree. And I, I think in the veteran space too, um, I, I find that a lot of moms that were in my position that were pregnant when they got out of the military and and life looked a little different because not a lot of women plan to be pregnant right when they get out of the military. Some do, um, but not all of them do. That um, I actually have a friend who kind of went through something similar that it's, it's so much navigation of change all at one time. And I tried so hard to give myself grace when I got out of the military of understanding you just made a major life career change going from $6,000 a month of a paycheck to nothing. Um, you're pregnant, which is another change that's huge. 
um, school didn't work out, which is another change that's huge. So I tried to constantly remind myself of like, there's a lot of changes, slow down, it's okay. Um, but, but sometimes we just have to feel the emotions that are happening and just kind of let life take its course. And there's nothing wrong with that either. So, um, every mom's journey as a veteran and as a service member is a little bit different, but I think that, that having that community and support, whether that be through a podcast or through physical community, it's so important just to know that we're not alone. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing is none of us are alone. Right. We may feel alone. We may feel like this is, I'm the only one that has ever had this happen to me, but there's a really pretty big chance that somebody else has too. And right. they feel alone. Yeah. You know, and that's just, that's just the way life is, is we, um, as, as moms, again, speaking to moms, we don't want anybody to see the part we struggle with because although we, we say that we love each other, we still, I think that mothers still have that judgmental part, right? Like my sister has a child who is autistic. She's got, she's got three very well-behaved children and her autistic son, he gets sensory overload and he misbehaves and people look at her like she's a bad mom. And she's like, do you see my other three? He's yeah. simply overstimulated. I need to change his his uh, surroundings. Yes. He's not a bad kid, but she still gets those looks and she gets those comments. And that's not the way we should be. Moms right. should be like, hey, I noticed this just happened. Right. Do you need assistance? Right. Or, hey, buddy. You know, like just any kind of help that we, I mean, I've straight up mean mugged a kid throwing a fit in Walmart before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I look at them like you being a mother like this right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. and any support we can give each other is so important. And with being in the military, that's such a I mean, that's not a common experience. That is more unique than than the average person. Um, being in the military and being a mom or being a veteran and being a mom and being able to build those communities together to have, like you said, online communities or or in-person communities, but being able to support each other with experiences that a civilian hasn't experienced. Right. right. You and yeah. I, like, I got your back. I, I got your back. But another mom who's been in the military has your back in a different way. Right. Right. And I think it, it just kind of going back to women in the military, it, you find that a lot of women in the military are very much in a survival mode of their own, whether they're a mom or not. And it's because Females in certain roles in the military is still kind of a touchy subject for a lot of people. I mean, I stood watch with a guy one time who spent the entire night talking about how if a woman gets pregnant in the military, they need to kick her out right away. He's like, she shouldn't have gotten pregnant. She just needs to be separated. And I'm like, okay, but what about the guy that got her pregnant? What about him? Are we going to kick him out too? Or are we just going to let that slide because he doesn't have to take on that role of a parent because he's not carrying the child? or he can be deployed because he doesn't have to physically carry the child. And, and you know, the perspective was very much the woman needs to go. She shouldn't have gotten pregnant. And there's a lot of people that still think like that. But also knowing that women are still a new, quote unquote, new concept to the military. Um, there's a lot of women who feel like they have to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. And with that, they sometimes can become toxic leaders. I experienced this with one of my female leaders in the military. And in, but on the flip side of that, you see women who are very empowering leaders and, and they also bring up other empowering leaders 
that are females and, and males alike in the military, but it's very inspiring to see the women who actually empower and support each other in the military. Um, you know, when we look at things like the submarines in the military, they just started allowing women onto submarines not that long ago. Combat roles in the military, they just started allowing women to, to be in those roles. And, and what I found in conversations is that a lot of men and even some women, honestly, are apprehensive about women serving in these roles because, oh, women have periods, women have babies. Oh, what are we going to do if we're in combat and a woman needs to bring tampons with her? I mean, these are legitimate conversations that people are having because they're worried about women being inserted into roles that have been male dominated for so long. And then also women are too emotional. You hear that a lot too. Um, so, you know, I, I think that throwing in, throwing in the dynamic of just like women feeling like they have to show up somewhere and prove themselves. Um, it, it creates a whole other slew of mental health issues that could potentially realistically affect them pretty greatly down the road or even throughout their time served. So um, I'm sure we'll see a lot more of that come up as these women who served in these new roles that women are now allowed to be in in the military as they get out in the next 20 years or so. I mean, it's, it's going to create another dynamic of mental health issues that probably could have been prevented, but that's um, the culture every time. Wow. I am so... I'm fangirling over you right now. You are an amazing human being, and I know that you're going to make huge changes, whether they are truly visible to the naked eye or not. You're going to make big changes, at least in individuals, right? But those individuals, there's that ripple effect, and those individuals are going to affect other individuals. And with enough people carrying your flag, those culture changes will happen. Maybe not fast, but they'll happen. I mean, already come leaps and bounds so let's see see how fast we can leap into the next space and culture thank you that's really incredible um we are uh pushing out on time is there anything you just want to share that is just like that thing um you know i like to to say towards the end of most podcasts that i'm on just a reminder for anyone listening that you're not alone uh, that it's okay if you need to reach out for help, especially as moms. You mentioned this earlier. A lot of us like to take on everything ourselves and not show the world that we have emotions and that we're human beings. Uh, it does not make you weak if you have emotions. And, and realistically, it's good for your child to see your emotions because the way that we handle ourselves is how our kids are going to learn how to handle themselves. And, it, it, and it's okay if sometimes that's messy. Um, because we're also showing them that we're humans. And, and at the end of the day, no human makes it through life without having to experience some kind of hard emotions. So just know that you're not alone and uh, know that you got this. And if you need support, please reach out for support, whether that's to a close friend, family member, um, there's 988, but there's also so many support groups, whether that be on Facebook, um, through nonprofits. I mean, it, it's out there. Sometimes we just have to search for it. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Okay. Tell everybody uh, where to find your podcast, how to find your podcast and how to reach out. Yeah. So ysdeh.com is the website that links to my episodes. I'm on Apple, Spotify. It's called Your Story Doesn't End Here. Uh, it's got the black cover art with the American flag, two hands holding each other. Uh, you can also find me on social media, either type in ysdeh or underscore ysdeh on some platforms. And, uh, and you can support the podcast just by listening, subscribing, 
Um, give it a five-star rating and review if you really enjoy the episode. But the biggest impact comes from just sharing it with your network because you never know who in your network might need to hear someone's story or might relate to that, whether they tell you or not. Um, but we're definitely in growth mode with the podcast. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's just my first name, dash, last name, Rachel dash Oswald. Um, you can also find me on, on all the other social media platforms. Instagram is probably where I'm most active right now. I think that's Rachel Oswald, but, um, but yeah, definitely reach out. I also just recently started a mental health blog. It's called soul serenity, um, soul serenity hub.com is the website for that. And that is more geared towards just general mental health. I also have a veterans hub in there too for the veterans that check it out. Um, but just kind of an educational and, and blog platform just to spread the the knowledge and education when it comes to mental health and self-care. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everyone. Her name will be shared uh, in the link in bio. So make sure you check her out. Um, list to her podcast, share her podcast. I guarantee you know someone who needs to hear it. So, um, Rachel, if you'll stay online while I stop recording, this part's always clunky, but I love it anyway. So, moms, thank you very much for joining us this week. I appreciate you listening. This has been absolutely eye-opening and fascinating to me. Uh, and uh, check everything she said out. So I will see you guys next week. Thanks. Bye. Hey moms, just remember that I am not a mental health professional. This space is just for creating conversations. If you are in crisis, please call the National Crisis Hotline at 988. If you are in danger, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. Talk to you soon.